Welcome to the China Flexpad Podcast. My name is Oscar Fuchs. For the purposes of this podcast, I would describe myself as an ex-entrepreneur. I was the co-founder of a headhunting company which specialized in the niche of human resources directors, and this is what eventually brought me to China. Since we had been increasingly busy in the market, and it made sense to locate one of the co-founders here, but in fact. I was the ultimate flexpat because by that stage in the growth of the company, I had a global role which could have been located anywhere. So, it was almost an accident that I ended up being in China here in Shanghai, and yet I've now been here for seven years. Prior to that, I had been three years in Hong Kong, six years in Singapore, and three years in Japan. Since selling my stake in that headhunting company, I now focus my time on content creation, in particular in producing and hosting a podcast called Mosaic of China, which is a project which showcases interesting people from all kinds of different worlds, be it business or arts or sports or science or academia—you name it. Anyone who can offer an interesting lens through which to observe and understand life in China. You are.、Uh... Headhunter and a professional in this industry on how to change jobs and transition jobs. How did you get into headhunting yourself? I had been working ten years before that in a variety of jobs, but mainly in the field of research. So, firstly, it was market research for Japanese companies,、uh, policy research for the Japanese government, and then later I was a conference producer. Which was creating programs for commercial conferences. That's maybe not what you think about when you hear the title "conference producer." I didn't produce the event itself. I produced the content of the event. So I would re- research a topic. I'd figure out the feasibility of doing a conference on that topic. I'd write the program, and then I would invite the kind of caliber of guests that would attract companies to sponsor the program, and then ultimately to attend as a delegate. And that's what first took me to Singapore, where I was producing events for the Asia Pacific region. And it was in Singapore where I became a headhunter. When you are changing careers, it is a lot easier to transition into something which has some kind of overlap with your existing skills or interests. So for me, I had a natural curiosity. I had the research skills to find speakers. I had the interpersonal skills to convince them to be presenters at these conferences, and then I had the organizational skills to handle the running of these events. So it wasn't a massive leap to go into headhunting, which requires a similar basket of skills. Instead of researching topics,、uh, you know, headhunting is more about researching people, their skills, their motivations. You know, matching them not to a conference program, but to a company who is looking to hire new employees. Later on, when I was a headhunter, I would meet people now and again who wanted to make similar career shifts, but often without thinking about this overlap. And that's even within the field of HR. So, for example, there could be an HR manager in a tech company in India who wanted to be、um, like an HR director at a fashion brand in Singapore, for example. And maybe that person in India could have been exceptionally good and could have done that job. What I would say to that kind of person is, if you want to be a fashion HR person in Singapore, then why don't you break that up into two separate moves? So either you could move into a fashion brand as an HR manager in India first, and then try to engineer the geographical move after that, or you could try to focus on getting a role in tech HR in Singapore first, and then engineer a cross-industrial move after that. It's a simple piece of advice, but often people are a little bit too impatient. They get focused on that big move, the you know A to Z, rather than a couple of incremental moves that 
could you know be a more reasonable way to reach the same objective and it sounds a little tedious and unadventurous in a way but that's how i can say i moved from teaching in japan to researching in london to conferences in singapore to headhunting in hong kong and now to podcasting in shanghai so it doesn't sound so boring and tedious when you say it like that but all of those were you know small increments that in some way added up to something i was always dreaming of working in china but then i didn't have this kind of this cutting edge which would take me here i had to learn to take care of the engineering not only the sales yes. and then i had to find a way to kind of be working for a chinese company but i can totally relate to what you're saying because it's not just one go but within five years you can actually reach a lot guys like me flexpats how can they get into a view of a headhunter my general advice would be think long term just don't commoditize your relationship with headhunters find out the people out there who would look at you as a long term relationship try and do things without needing a headhunter <laughs> this is the freedom i have to to talk about, about this because i'm no longer a headhunter the thing about headhunters is that there can be some downsides and that's because of the way the markets generally are these days headhunters can be a little bit inflexible a company will reach out to a headhunter often as a last resort it's because they've exhausted all the other options so for example they might ask their employees for referrals or they might have an internal recruiter who could go through sites like linkedin it's only after all else fails do they go right we can't find someone let's use a headhunter so already they have an expectation that the headhunter will have to be more exact uh, in terms of who they can put forward if you try as a headhunter to put someone who is not sort of the 10 out of 10 candidate then often they will push back on you and say look i'm paying you to find the exact right person why are you giving me someone who i could have found myself on linkedin that is quite complicated and it gets harder if it is a senior role in let's say an international company where there is an international matrix of decision makers it can be a complex group of you know five or six stakeholders all who need to agree so that limits even more the idea of someone who is a little bit out of the box getting a chance for that role and sometimes being a non chinese in china for example can mean that you are out of the box in this whole world linkedin especially and not only linkedin not only digital but also offline events and so on how can we flexpets really build a kind of a brand which would then lead into differentiating ourselves from chinese professionals i like what you're trying to say with this word flexpat but at the same time you're using it as an expansion of the word expat and expat it has a slightly negative overtone to me I am an expat but the the builder from Bangladesh is a migrant worker. Why not call ourselves flex employees? <laughs> just we're just people, we're just flex people. I would probably focus on soft skills. What you are showing when you are building this brand is a certain kind of skill which maybe it's a kind of consulting skill. They are the skills that help you to be persuasive and consultative. So it could be storytelling. It demonstrating some level of vulnerability that's also not very common. And yet vulnerability is actually a good way for us to connect with other humans and in so doing that can help you to be persuasive. Saying no to someone senior is especially hard in places like China where there are 
you know, strict hierarchical norms when addressing someone senior. So, and, and by the way, it's even harder in Japan and Korea. <laughs> Knowing how to do that is an art form as well. And, and that is very differentiating when it comes to a market like China. You, you have to know how to use that power. You can't be always the outlier. You have to use that power sparingly. So if when you're posting, you're coming across as the kind of person who is always going to be contrary, then that's not going to make you very popular. But at the same time, it isn't going to make what you write come across. Another flip side to that consulting skill is also knowing when the shoe is on the other foot, how to be challenged by someone senior. So again, it's about being honest about being wrong, which is sometimes not, not a skill that people have in this part of the world. It's, it's actually very hard to, to stick to what you know to be true. If you know about what you're talking about, sometimes saying, I don't know the answer actually is a very powerful answer. And that's something which in this part of the world is quite difficult. The way that I'm working with my Chinese team is actually to tell them that they can do this. Mm. They can tell me what they like and what they don't like. And they can tell me how they would like to solve a task. And mm. then I will tell them if, if that's okay for me and what I would do instead. And what I really want to know is their decision in this case. It takes a long time to, to train this mindset, to get people to think about what they want themselves and not just to do what the boss is saying. This is how I differentiate because my team, they see me like a puffer between my boss and them. <laughs> They can talk to me the way they talk to a friend. And then they can think about, well, should I tell the same to my boss? No, to my boss, I will tell him what he wants to hear. Yeah. But then I will tell him, no, tell him what you just told me. And then, no, 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 I cannot do that. But actually, they're getting better. They really, well, what's, what's better? I mean, that's a judgment. But they are changing, right, into this direction. I really enjoy this. And I think it's a, it's a great opportunity um, to test your leadership um, ability in China, where you have this big cultural difference between these two worlds, right? The very direct say, you're wrong, and I'm telling you right, and the very indirect to say, well, if you say so, then it must be right. I have to make a judgment. If I don't make a judgment, then there is no value what I provide. But if I make a judgment, I will make people unhappy. You touched upon the next point that I was going to make, which is actually, and it is an extension of, you know, these skills, but it's the, it is the cultural adaptability piece. You came to China a long time ago, then you went back to your home country, and then you came back to China, correct? Exactly, exactly. Right. It was 12 years between. This is the same as me. So I was first a teacher in Japan, and then I did some work in my home country. That was the UK, probably, I think, four, five, six years, something like that. And then I came back, and I've been in Asia, I think it's 18 years since then. When I went back to the UK and started working in the UK, that was where I learned about how things are done in my home culture. I made plenty of mistakes. It's not just how people react to your mistakes. It's how you then react to your mistakes. It's, it's just learning the ways that you do business, the ways that you have responsibility. It's these yes. fundamental cultural yes. corporate skills. There are those who don't do that. There are those who come to, let's say, China. It could be anywhere in the world, but let's say China. 
and then from school they have a job and then they are in China and never work elsewhere. If you are making these mistakes and you're already in another market, they are corrected in different ways. Or you know what? Sometimes these mistakes can go unnoticed entirely <laughs> because maybe as a foreigner or a flexpat, sometimes you already have a job that's slightly to one side of the rest of the company and you're slightly the anomaly and And it's quite easy to go unnoticed. In my point of view, when I was in Japan, that's where I first taught English. I later was working as a headhunter back in Japan. It was interesting because I could see people who had gone from being sort of a, an inexperienced teacher to then becoming an inexperienced headhunter. Um, and they had never, they never worked elsewhere. And like I said before, headhunting, there is no barriers to entry. In fact, there were no barriers to entry to be a teacher, an English teacher in, in some regards over there as well. So the people who had never really had professional experience in their home countries, you know, there's something a little bit off in the way that they did business simply because they did not have that. I guess you can call it cultural adaptability, but they didn't have that sort of cultural baseline by which to measure like how far off their equilibrium they were at any one point. We both have this experience. So I can't possibly judge about how it would have been without that experience. I, I think for me, it's quite interesting that that when I was going back to Germany and starting my career, I was like kind of brutally starting in sales. So I was doing cold calling for like a senior guy who's 10 years older than I am now. And so so he was telling me, you know, do the dirty work and I would do. And then he complains that I'm not quick enough. Come on, do it yourself, man. But then when I came to China, I had this experience of doing dirty work for a long time. And this is how I think we can differentiate. Well, if headhunting is not the only option, then What else can you do to build a career and to build long-lasting relationships? Headhunters can be great. You need to be on side with headhunters. But if you dig into what it means to use your network, this is really the best way for you to develop your long-term chances of being found for roles, not just by headhunters, but also by the employers themselves. It is a social skill, just like any other social skills. They're, they're called skills. They're skills which you need to develop. So first of all, if you're not into networking, don't worry. I'm not into networking and I was a headhunter. <laughs> so it is a skill that you can develop. Maybe mine, my skill is, is telling funny stories. And that's how I develop my friendships. You've got to push through the resistance and say, no, that's not for me. And learn the skill in a comfortable and authentic way. Sometimes it's very performative and it's just about self-promotion or it's too direct in terms of I want to use you for something and I want to do it now. The way to do it is to do it just in terms of what I said before, in terms of long-term relationship building rather than being rushed and trying to, you know, try to make something out of it too quickly. And maybe that's a cultural thing, you know, you and I are both from Europe and, the, you know, part yes, of us think that definitely. A bit disgusting to do it. But it, maybe if we're American, there's a little bit more tolerance for it, you know, or maybe maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe people younger than you and I are happier to do it and they're happier to receive it from others. I don't know. I can only talk for myself. What you should do is you should personally keep an eye out on who the right people are in your network, the two plus separated network, you know, the friends of friends and work out which of these people you ought to have a relationship with. And then invite them to be LinkedIn. Now, I would always personalize your LinkedIn invitations, never just send a link without a message. I personally never accept invitations without one. And then when you are writing to them, you basically have an excuse to write. Maybe you've seen a news article, or maybe you just something personalized when you write it so that they know it's not a group message that you send to everyone. 
and then build a relationship. If they accept, then just say hello. Don't do anything too quickly. Just say it's great to be in touch. I hope that our paths can reconnect in the future at some point. Maybe they'll apply, maybe they won't, doesn't matter. And start thinking about posting your articles on LinkedIn, posting just small posts. It could be a comment. It could be resharing an article that somebody else has written and just adding your own personal commentary. It could be writing a short piece yourself, not too often, maybe just once every few weeks is enough. Whenever the idea comes to you, just start to build a body of work. And that's how you can start to build this online persona and start to find your own voice. And don't do it inauthentically. So if you have nothing to say, then don't say it and don't do it too much either. Otherwise, you'll give the impression that this is all that you do. Start with like one sentence about you and figure out what one sentence can define who I am. That can be in terms of who you are as a person or who you want to be known as as a persona. And then whenever you create some piece of content, just make sure that it largely fits into that persona. And then that will create some kind of consistency with the stuff that you post. And as you grow, that definition of yourself will change. You know, you don't need to stick to it any longer than it defines you. You know, that that would be like a snake not being able to shed its skin when it grows. It's, it's not supposed to suffocate you. It's supposed to inspire you to just create content. Slowly, you will start to build some kind of brand. When you do need a job, maybe, you know, what you've done over the past six months is now and again, you have sent specific people links to your posts and say, hi, as I was writing this, I thought of you, or just something which gives you an excuse to be in touch with them on a personal basis now and again. You know, these are just human beings. These are not faceless corporate robots. So wherever possible, you try to touch on them as if they were a human, which then hopefully engages with them on a personal level, defines who you are. And because you're doing it when you're not asking for anything in return, you're just doing it in a way which is developing a relationship. Um, then if you do meet them in real life, you already may have developed this digital identity with them beforehand. Then you might go into something else where you, you can say, oh, you know what? I am starting to look at options outside my company. And, you know, you came to mind. Why don't we have a quick coffee? Oscar, I really enjoy listening to your podcast, Mosaic of China. And what I really like are the lots of different stories about lifestyle in China, not only careers and business. So can you share a little bit more about what you do and what your mission is? So yeah, what I try and do with Mosaic of China is a bit similar to what you do in that you're focusing just on business. But for me, I've broadened it to any kind of person living through their story. And at the same time, you learn a little bit about China. And some people, their stories are very China specific and others just happen peripherally in China. But with every single story, it offers just a new lens on how to understand life in China. I try and sidestep the things that might be a little bit controversial, focusing on the human story, try to get people who otherwise might not care about China to get them to, in some way, engage with life in China. In Europe or in the States, for example, a lot of what we hear about in China is wholly negative. And then honestly, here in China, a lot of it is, is too positive. I, I try and focus on the entire spectrum of the human sort of experience. Even business can be scary to some people when you think about China and business. I'm really trying to build that bridge um, in the best way that I can, sometimes by injecting serious topics, other times by being a little bit more cheeky and lighthearted, but hopefully in a way that can educate and entertain. 
Oscar, thank you so much for being with us today. We learned a lot about transitioning from one career stage to the next, working with headhunters, but also doing it yourself, building your own digital persona in order to get found by potential employers or make friends who can help you later in your career. I also like what you share about your podcast, Mosaic of China, and I hope that our audience will tune in and have a look themselves and connect with you on LinkedIn. So with this, thank you so much for being here on the show. Xie and zaijian. Thank you for being part of the China Flexpad community. If you would like to explore more useful episodes like this one, please visit our website, chinaflexpad.com. Give us a like and follow on LinkedIn and we would love to hear from you.